Hello to today's podcast from Mark and Mark on pharmaceutical contamination monitoring. Today we look at sample tubing concerns in aseptic fill lines raised by Annex 1. I am Mark with 25 years of experience in aseptic fill finish equipment and I'm together with... Hello, I'm Mark Hallworth for 25 years delivering solutions for contamination monitoring. So... This Annex one came out a couple of weeks ago. We didn't even talk about this yet because we had so many other important issues to cover, but now it gets hot. You are one of the experts around this topic for our company. And I think not only for our company, maybe you are the expert on this topic for particle I, transportation. I've been very fortunate enough to be able to contribute with the ISPE you know, committee on some of the environmental monitoring elements for our contribution to uh, what, what we felt was necessary. Uh, whether they heard our voice or not, Mark, remains to be seen, but <laughs> we, we now have a released version and not just another draft to talk about. And although we may not have spoke to it directly over the last couple of weeks we've been talking, everything that we talk about is always anchored in EU GMP because that's, you know, the foundation of PICS and and many of the global standards that we look at. So to avoid Annex 1 is very difficult in, in what we do day to day. And it seems, at least for someone, for me, who is relatively new to the topic of particle transportation, it seems that there is a confusion around monitoring, calibration, and verification or uh, recertification. There's a big difference in how those particles are important uh, to be measured in each one of those. And now today we have the rule, we should have one meter and no more below the filling line. And of course, you know how that is. The meter is pretty short because we're reaching out already 30 centimeters above the machine blade that leaves us with at the most 60 centimeters below the machine plate. And this is very challenging. So what do people do if they are challenged by the meter? Yeah, so as, as you said, there's three variables or three points at which your first one was calibration. When we calibrate a particle counter, we're not actually worried about numbers. We're worried about size. So we calibrate a particle counter to demonstrate that it counts 100% of the particles and that the size at which it counts them is absolutely accurate. Now, absolutely, you know, it's within plus or minus 10%, whatever the tolerance is for the instruments that you have. And that's all governed by ISO 21501 part four. So the counting ability of a particle counter at calibration is a kind of an absolute. This is its job. The next phase is when we start to look at ISO 14644 part one, and that's the clean room classification. Now, this is where the accuracy of the number will be a reflection of the result in the room. So to get a high degree of accuracy of sample measurement is very important because it's it's essentially a, a secondary calibration function of the primary calibration of the instrument. So you're going to use that to perform a calibration of the room. And a calibration is essentially the equivalent of, uh, of the classification of the room because you're going to measure it at certain points and demonstrate compliance to a standard. So if you've got a lot of variance in the measurement going in, you've got a lot of variance in the result coming out, which isn't a good thing. So this is where isokinetic probes become critical. This is where tubing lengths become critical. 
And if we actually read into Annex 1, there's also an, a, a sub-industry that only look at macro particles. And a macro particle is described as those particles greater than 5 micron. Not equal to or greater, but greater than 5 micron. So applications where large particles are a concern means that they have their own special Appendix C within the ISO 14644 standard. And that then talks about sedimentation. You know, you can't really take a really good measurement if you're using long lengths of sample tubing because those large macro particles greater than five micron drop out in tubing lengths. So in that standard, it is recommended that no more than one meter of tubing be used when sampling for particles greater than five micron. Now, we take ISO and we put it into our world of aseptic environmental monitoring, and we're not just looking at five micron. We're looking at 0.5 and everything from 0.5 to five and everything from five micron and above. So we're looking at the 0.5s, the 0.6s, the 0.7s, the 0.8s, the 1s, the 2s, the 2.2s. They all form part of the overall population of particles within the soup that is the airborne contamination within a clean space. And because we're looking at this range of particles, it's hard to say, well, if I isolate and just look at this one channel, that's going to go in to give me an indication as to what's going on. So it's actually part of the soup. And we, we need to know all of the flavors to make sure that that meets the requirements of the environment we're talking about. So we have some 0.5s with every five micron particle that we have. We actually have about a 10 to the N greater than, you know, it's a logarithmic scale. So we've got a number of particles that demonstrate that the clean room is in control from a cleanliness perspective. But there were some studies done in the 90s that demonstrate that showed that macro particles, those particles that are between 10 and 20 microns inside, had the greatest risk of being a viable contaminant because smaller than that, they tended to desiccate in the clean, dry air of a clean room. So now we're looking at macro particles as an indicator of control of sterility, asepsis if you will. So we've got to demonstrate we're in control of them. And the original standard years ago used to be zero at particles greater than five micron. And they changed that to a one and then they changed it to a 20 and now they've dropped it completely. And that's because statistically we're trying to demonstrate that there are no big particles present. Well, if we're trying to do that, the best way is to use a short length of tubing because we want to take a sample from its point of generation to its point of measurement. And that means sample tubing has to join those two together. We either put the instrument in the space or we join them through a length of tubing. And that should be as direct a connection as possible. You know, long radius bends to make sure we don't get impaction on the walls. It should be short to make sure that we don't get sedimentation. But what's the optimum length? Well, the optimum length is no length at all. So now you start to, what's the most acceptable risk then? Studies that we've done at Particle Measuring Systems has shown us that the risks for five micron sedimentation exceed what we're comfortable with. And that's our comfort zone is typically 
aligned with the total sum of errors that we'd get from a calibration. So much more than about two meters of tubing is where you start to compromise the quality of measurement. So we recommend no more than two meters as part of our stance on what is acceptable. Fortunately, the language at the 11th hour changed in Annex 1 and said no more than a meter of tubing unless justified. So now that's great. We can justify it. We can demonstrate it uh, and everything else. But we should also be aware of other variables that affect particle loss in transport tubing. The tubing diameter, which affects the speed of the particle down the tube. If you use a slow flow rate with a large bore tubing, you're going to get sedimentation because the velocity of gas in the tube isn't enough to carry the five micron particle to the end destination. Uh, how sharp are the bend radius? Do you have any valves in? Because a valve is a particle trap. Do you have any transitions from one connector to another? Because each connector creates a particle loss potential. So it's an overall review of the design of the installation. And that's what gets you the best result. Now you go to monitoring and monitoring, you're not really bothered about an absoluteness of number because you've demonstrated that or, you, or you've tried to demonstrate that as part of your qualification and your certification. What we're now bothered about is change of value relative to demonstration of control. So can I demonstrate I'm in control of that environment relative to the operations taking place and the risk therein. And because of that, we start to look at a sample to sample variance, you know, short term trends. How does sample one compare against two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten? And how do we look at that data? We then look at it from a medium term. You know, how did this batch compare relative to the next batch? You know, what was the controls demonstrated batch to batch? And then ultimately we have our long term trending six months, three months, six months annually where we look at a facility and is it degrading? Are my background levels of particles getting higher? And that doesn't mean 20 to 22 to 23, although it might because they all got higher. It could be one to two to three. It could be a thousand to a thousand and one to a thousand and ten. So the absolute value is now less important than the overall trend. And when we come to five micron monitoring, where they are very random, this is where Annex One offers us these caveats to interpret how we treat macro particles, which is one of the things we're going to talk about when we start to talk about how do we set alert and action limits relative to these environments. But what we're starting to look for here are those frequency changes, not necessarily numerical, but how often does an out of tolerance occur? And what comprises out of tolerance is one of the things that we'll look at. So macro particles are important because they reflect real time viable risk as demonstrated by Bill White and Lundquist and Reinmuller in the 90s. And so if we can have no macro, we can have no viable, tenuous, but it's it's there. That That's the aim. Ultimately, is such that our environments, if they do have a five micron particle event, A, you can believe it, and therefore your tubing length shouldn't have been so burdensome that that one or two particles can't get down the tubing. So make best effort to transport those few. 
and b how do you interpret their occurrence and uh, and that's why macro particles has, have really taken on a huge impact in this latest revision of annex one I understand the ideal situation is that uh, the machine is designed with environmental monitoring in, in the mind of the designer. They come up with rough design of the machine. Then they think about where they should monitor. We are offering our help to everyone out there who is in troubles finding the right points. And then you create space below that point to uh, place your sensor. But what about all these existing machines, which we will see for the next 10 years still being manufactured? How does one of those argue with the end customer where the end customer says the Annex 1 says one meter, you have one meter and 20? And that's why the, oh, you, we're grateful that Annex 1 did change because now it says one meter justified. unless justified. So now we can offer them that justification. Who does that justification? How does it look like? It, it depends on how bad an install it was. You know, if it's like two and a half meters with 10 very tight radius bends and three valves and two changes of direction, then the only way you can replicate that is to essentially build that system and perform testing to measure the loss. If it's within acceptable guidelines, i.e. it's 1.6 meters, there's two bends, those bends are nice round curves, then they can come to their supplier or to us and we can review the system with them and describe what the losses may mean based upon the work we've done and then how they interpret that data becomes uh, I've seen this done one of two ways one of them is right and one of them is wrong some people go oh well if I've lost 40 percent of my particles I'll enhance the value by 40 percent yeah see yeah I mean you even you laughed as new as you are because particles aren't linear it's one over d to the 2.08 it's a logarithmic exponential curve so the best way to do it is to just reduce their alert and action limits accordingly. So if you have 40% losses, reduce your alert level 40%. Now, in a grade A, your alert level for 5 micron is 1, because one particle normalized is 35 per minute. So you then have to look at how do I treat the data from a frequency perspective? And that's absolutely what we'll start talking about when we talk about alert and action levels. So maybe that's a good time to break it up for today. Thank you, Mark. You're more than welcome. Happy to talk. If anyone has any question, you can reach out to your local salesperson, send us an email at info at pmeasuring.com or visit our website, pmeasuring.com, and our knowledge base should help you further. Mark, I'm done for today. You gave me a lot of new insights for the next weeks where we can talk more topics. I wrote down several other things I want to know. So I'm looking forward to see you next week again. Always happy to talk, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Cheerio. Bye-bye.